Hello everyone and welcome to You'll Probably Agree. Now, if you notice from the lack of noise in the background, we are not in the bar, or I should rather say, <clears throat> I am not in the bar today because I am getting packed up and ready to go to Ebertfest, which is a film festival I go to every year. So, while I'm in the process of doing that, uh, real quick, I'm going to go over the last two movies I've seen and give you some brief reviews. Say my name so my powers may flow through you. But I don't know your name, sir. Shazam. Wait, for real? Say okay! Shazam? Here's the thing with Shazam, man. Like, I thought it was good. Like, it was definitely fun to see DC, you know, uh, let's say let off some steam a bit. Maybe make something a little more fun, not take themselves so damn seriously. Especially with, you know, Joker Grill's douchebag Leto Joker. But, I, I don't know, It it's like, I, I'd give this movie right off the bat three stars. But, I'd definitely not give it more than three stars. It's fun, it's enjoyable, uh, the cast works great. But, when I saw it, like, one thing that always bothered me with the trailers... And just the footage overall with the cinematography is that the movie kind of has this low-budget quality within this high-budget film. It kind of reminded me of, like, an old episode of WB. Remember that? Like, one of those old Warner Brothers movie channels sort of superhero films. It looked, like, just kind of cheap and slapped together. Uh, even thematically, it was kind of slapped together in some ways. Because you had these really heavy themes where uh, you had Shazam, who was like, you know, as a little kid, his name was Freddie Freeman. And essentially, like, uh, am I getting that right? Or is it Billy Batson? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do a lot of research for this. So, <laughs> no, 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 I'm just kidding. Okay, so Billy, basically, he's your standard Typical superhero movie origin story. A guy, uh, he gets, he, he, you know, either his parents die or he grows up with parents. He grows up with a foster family. So this kid, he has this foster family in the movie and, you know, he wants to find out who his real parents are. Well, there is a particular scene in that movie where he finally does catch up with his foster mom. Where throughout the whole movie he's trying to find her. And it's this really heartbreaking, emotionally heavy scene where basically the mom acts like she doesn't want his ass around at all. And when they got to that scene, like, it was so heavy compared to how light everything else was, it, it felt kind of imbalanced. Now, outside of that, I appreciated a lot of the, you know, kind of sort of like jabs and jokes and stuff like that, because it, it, it worked, and it was pretty good. And, um, you know, it had a good antagonist was Mark Strong. And uh, if you don't if you know comic book movies, Mark Strong was uh, McLovin's. Uh, <laughs> you remember McLovin? Yeah. You know, he was McLovin wasn't kick ass. Right. And he was a bad guy in it. So Mark Strong was his dad, who was like the big mob guy who ran the thing. Well, just like uh, little Billy, he he was a little kid who got these powers as well. So, he's kind of going after Shazam, and he wants all his power for himself, you know, because he's greedy with it. Typical bad guy shit. So, he made a great protagonist, and in the end, like, uh, uh, little Billy and all of his friends kind of get the Shazam power. And the way they get it is they get this magical stick from, you know, th this old black dude named Shazam. 
and you touch the stick, you say his name, you become Shazam. So the movie's pretty basic. The only thing is, it felt like it was just too basic. It felt like there was nothing more beyond the surface that really made me want to go and give this a strong recommendation to people. Now, the thing that works with the Marvel movies that I like so much is, despite how light they were, there was always something beyond the surface that made you keep coming back to them. For example, the Captain America movies, they were really surprising with how good they were because those movies kind of were a sentiment to just sort of being a capitalist, sort of blindly following your country, believing in everything, no matter what horrible things that they did. I mean, there was a strong anti-war message in uh, Captain America Civil War, and then they sort of carried on a message about trust and betrayal in Captain America Civil War, and that was interesting. Like, there were jokes and stuff like that in there, but there was still that extra element of, 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 you know, messaging and mythology, I don't know what the fuck I'm saying, of messaging that was in the movie. You know, there was, there was something that made you keep coming back and something that kind of made you care a little more for these characters beyond the surface. This movie's just about, you know, kind of sad foster kid who wants to get to know his parents and then realizes he's extraordinary because he just happened to coincidentally stumble upon a magical glowy thing. Which, I know I use that term a lot, glowy thing. I mean, even, and here's where people are going to hate me, but even Captain Marvel had a little more to it than Shazam did, where Captain Marvel was a movie about a, uh, I'm not going to say, <laughs> alright, maybe I will. It is a movie about a woman gaining her independence and realizing why she is so special, even though it was because she shot a uh, glowing object that was too close to an engine. But still, the whole drive of her was stop listening to what other people tell her. Uh, so, you know, this movie, yeah, I liked it. It was fun. Uh, it was a little on the long side. They could have trimmed about 30 minutes from it because it kind of just keeps stretching on forever. Uh, one thing I absolutely loved in this movie, though, was Zachary Levi as the grown-up version of Billy Batson slash Sazam because uh, the, the kid who played Billy was called Asher Angel, and Zachary didn't, uh, Levi didn't feel like he was playing sort of like this silly, dumb kid version of him. He really kind of seemed like he was that kid grown up. And he was, he kind of had like his sense of humor, his sort of rebellious attitude. And he was just so damn lovable in that movie. It didn't seem like he was trying too hard. It really felt like he was getting along with those kids. Like, I kept being like, man, I would love to be on that set and just hang out with those guys. It just like He just seems like a fucking awesome dude. So, you know what? He really helped carry this movie, and the kids in it were great, too. Uh, you know, you had the side characters of the foster parents that were pretty cool. You know, they kind of play like the stereotypical role of like, hey, we know we're foster parents, but we're also fun and we're going to crack a lot of jokes. And, you know, it, uh, you know, we're going to show how diversity is great, which it is. Uh, but I don't know. Um, yeah, like it was, you know what? It was pretty good, but it wasn't great. But still, I'd give this movie a solid three stars, but I'm not going to go further than that. So, you know, Shazam, it's a recommendation, just not a very strong one. So, go check it out. I should never have shown you that place. Your child is not the only thing that will come back. The barrier is broken. Ugh. You know what? 
If you were a fan of it, maybe you'll like Pet Cemetery. If you weren't a fan of it, uh, you're gonna like Pet Cemetery even less because now that we're on this huge remake reboot train, we got Pet Cemetery, and who boy is it boring! Every single thing that made me love us for being a different type of horror film is certainly not in this kind of picture. And I'm not saying it has to be, but when you're dealing with such heavy subject matter, just like the original, this movie played itself more for cheap thrills and scares than it did for actual material, actual contents. And boy, Pet Cemetery, which was directed by, let me look up their names here, Kevin Kolscher, who the fuck knows how to say his last name, and Dennis Winmeyer, um... I don't know who they are, but I'm going to guess they're rented directors. Uh, look at up their profile right now. Uh, oh, Mama 2, really? This is what uh, Kevin Kolsch directed? Yeah, they're, they're rented directors. Um, and by that, I mean they're directors who have no particular uh, style to them or anything that they have that's remotely interesting to say. And this movie feels like a cash grab. I don't even think it really made that much money in the box office. Uh and uh, here's the thing. The original Pet Cemetery, I didn't think was that great. You know, it, it had just this really campy element to it. And let me look up the actor in the first one. Because, oh my god, he was <laughs> he was so cheesy in it. Um, okay, so it was uh, Dale Midcap, And he's uh, Louis Creed in the uh, original film. So then in the remake, we had... Come on, phone. I'm not cheating. Uh, we have Joey, uh, Jason Clark, who plays Louie in it. Oh, I guess they didn't give him a last name. They probably did, but probably the guy who credited him on IMDb didn't, like, bother to even put in, like, the full name because he's like, this movie sucks anyways. Uh, but, yeah. So, like, in the original uh, film, uh, Louie was, God, he was just so silly and over the top. And he came off like a guy who came from a typical TV movie version of Pet Cemetery, And at least, like, Jason Clark didn't come off like that in this movie. But at the same time, God, Jason Clark just feels like he could have been played by any actor for that role. As this doctor who goes around and, you know, crazy ghouls and goblins and all that kind of shit happens. And if you don't know the plot of Pet Cemetery, put it simply, these people move out into a small town in the woods, you know, in order to get away from things. And uh, Dr. Louie, uh, <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, because the fucking IMDb can't give his last name, Dr. Creed. Eh, maybe that's why, because now I'm just thinking of Apollo Creed. Um, they, they, uh, he, he, you know, uh, decided to work out in this small area. You know, in a little wooden farmhouse. Or, well, not a farmhouse, but like a little wooden shack. And you kind of caught away from society in a little small town. And right by there is a little cemetery where people bury, bury their pets. So what could possibly go wrong in a Stephen King story about people living in an isolated location? Jeez, I, I doubt the family's going to all kill each other, right? So, as predictable as this movie is from frame one, and maybe that's also a fault of the book, which I didn't read, uh, you, I felt like I knew everything that was going to happen a mile away, and not only because I've seen the original film or I knew of the content, but because 
you can just tell as anyone with a brain beyond a 12th grade level, well, hopefully even a 12th grade level will know more than this. If you're beyond a 5th grade level, maybe, or lower, let's, let's, let's go with 4th grade, you'll, you'll know exactly what kind of shit's in this movie. There are the typical jump scares, you know, where people are slowly approaching something, and then boom! Oh, scary thing! Oh, don't worry, it's a false alarm, it's just a cat, but oh no, there's a dead body that falls down! Same boring horror tropes that you see in every movie that just feels like it's so much on repetition that it's just dull! And the characters are fucking boring! You have Jason Clark, you have his wife played by Amy... What the fuck do you... How do you say that name? Seamitz? Um, uh, who's racial? You got John Lithgow, who plays Judd in the movie. You know, who um, is a little different from Fred uh, from Fred Gwynn, who played uh, the same uh, role in the original. Uh, but Fred Gwynn was really weird and creepy, you know, with, watch out over there in a pet cemetery, they're gonna come and get you. He at least provided a certain element of creepiness to it, just in the way he spoke. Where John Lithgow, it's like, oh, look, it's a guy from Third Rock from the Sun who's uh, the old man now. And he's okay in the role, but eh, nothing unique. Uh, And that's the thing. None of these characters are uh, discernible in any sort of way, which is a term I use a lot regarding characters. Like, here's how the movie plays out. Here's a scene. The father lays in the bed with the wife, and then they have a personal talk about how do we tell our little daughter, Ellie, about, you know, loss, about her cat dying, or this and that. Oh, well, we'll figure it out. So here's that, that spooky scene happens. So remember, boring bedside talk, spooky scene. Boring bedside talk, spooky scene. And then third act, family, uh, the whole spoilers, everyone basically kills each other. So, without giving away the whole plot, which, I don't know, at this point, if you haven't seen it, you should know the plot already. Um, you, you basically have this this family who is by this Indian burial ground where you know, your loved ones comes back to life if you bury them there. Some of them come back to life and try to kill each other. Whoops, I spoiled it anyways. But what do you expect? You can't really talk about Pet Cemetery without getting into spoiler territory. And yeah, by the time you get into that third act where, you know, relatives are coming back to life and they're chopping each other up, I wasn't bored or interested or engaged in any sort of way. I was just waiting for the film to end. Um, You know, it's like if you want to make a movie about grief and loss and trying to, you know, maybe overcome that or how it ruins you or destroys you or what have not, why not make a more introspective film? Why not really see things from the point of view of Luis, Jason Clark's characters, and and Rachel, Amy Simitz's character? I don't say her name wrong. Um, because if, if you really actually kind of feel sort of like maybe the relief that Louise has when he brings someone back in that film and in a twisted way, you kind of want him to do the thing that he's doing instead of having the film see these characters externally where when they start to do their 
burying of the relative that they want to bring back and doing all this crazy stuff. The movie didn't judge them so much and they just tried to really examine them. We'd have something more interesting. But instead, we just have this really generic film with random jump scares and incredibly boring talking scenes in the middle of it. You know, every time when you see a slasher and there's a talking scene, that's what they feel like. These scenes, like, they're not filler, but they feel like filler because these directors don't really know how to make us invested in these characters. And, uh, what can I say about Pet Cemetery other than it's not really a recommendation for me. It's just a movie that plays everything safe. It's remade really not for any particular purpose to provide anything new whatsoever to the story other than just kind of the same old horror cliches that we always see. And yeah, I would have liked to have seen a movie that really examined the themes of loss and grief and how it can destroy us as human beings rather than a movie about evil zombies killing each other, which is essentially what it is. This is a zombie film with an Indian burial ground, and it's like you could just see sort of the 90s nostalgic feeling for those cheesy Stephen King movies being brought back onto the big screen. You know, at least with a movie like It, although I wasn't a big fan of, no pun intended, It, it at least, Jesus Christ, why did they give it that title? Uh, it at least had characters that you knew through the Losers Club. You know, you had the the fat kid who stuttered a lot, who had to basically uh, gain some confidence outside of that. You had the kid who, like, made a lot of smart quips and, you know, was likable in that way. You had Beverly, who was the girl who kind of was one of the strongest, most independent ones in the group. Uh, they really didn't develop the black kid at all in the new version, maybe because the director of that was a racist. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just fucking around. All right. Um, but at least with the Losers Club, you got to know who they were in some way. So then when they become adults in the next film, when they carry it over, you get to see maybe how they grew and changed. Or if they get lazy with the writing, they won't really change at all, or they'll be very generic and boring. And that was the thing that didn't work with the original It, which was they kept cutting from the childhood scenes to the adult scenes, and you kept getting taken out of it when they were adults. And at least there, they're playing it sequentially, so you kind of do get more emotionally invested in these kids uh, before you know they, they reach maturity, and then they have to sort of go back to their old town and uh, re-encounter their fears. Uh, with Pet Cemetery, what can I say? I'll, here's, here's, how, here's how they directed all the scenes at Pet Cemetery. Okay, so uh, shooting days um, 1 through 25 is going to be in the cabin bedroom. And how are we going to direct this scene? The husband's going to lay in the bed next to the wife, and they're going to softly talk about, oh, how do we take care of Ellie and let her know that, you know, losing her little cat, Church, who dies in the movie, um, if you don't know that for the cat in the poster and you say I'm spoiling it, then you're full of shit. Um, how are we going to tell them about Ellie dying? Oh, well, we'll figure it out. Fast forward 
to Ellie, you know, getting hit by a truck and then being buried. And then, you know, she actually comes back to life. And then the kid finds the cat alive again. We go to shooting day number two of 25. Interior bedroom, B. Oh, what do we do about Ellie now that she knows the cat's alive? I swear I buried her. I don't know, honey. That's just sort of one of those things that happened. Put me to fucking sleep, please. And don't bury me in the fucking pet cemetery where I can become an evil zombie and try to turn my whole family into evil zombies where we kill each other. So, pet cemetery, sometimes, to use a horrible pun, remade is still boring. And, uh, yep, I would say at least the 90s film was, like, so corny <laughs> just through the performances alone that it, it, it was good to watch just as an unintentional laugh. And this is just a bad movie where it's boring. So I give Pet Cemetery one and a half stars just out of the, you know, just because I kind of liked the very end of the film, like the very last shot just a little bit because they want that little extra mile in being cruel. <laughs> But I won't tell you more than that. Uh, but not a recommendation. It's just another course in how to direct really boring talking scenes. <laughs> All right. So thanks for tuning in, everyone. Uh, when I come back from Ebert Fest, hopefully I'll have some stuff for you guys to listen to from that festival. And if not, uh, we'll just have another episode where we'll be reviewing the next few upcoming movies. I already have my Avengers Endgame tickets, so I am really excited to see that. And uh, outside of that, please go to Galway Bay at 500 West Diversity Parkway in Chicago, Illinois. If you want to go grab a drink. And, you know, hang out with some buddies and probably run into a bunch of Chicago comics because that's where they all hang out. Uh, And until then, thanks a lot. I'm Mike Crawley, and this is You'll Probably Agree.